amazing to come back to the snow. And I thought about it in springtime. We speak about the fact that there is not one seed, not one seed that goes in the ground without what the Creator's awareness and understanding as that seed bursts forth and brings life. We talk about the fact in the summertime that there is not a flower that blossoms apart from God's divine design. In the fall, we talk about the fact that there's not one leaf that changes color and falls to the ground apart from his watchful eye. And now what? We have snow and we have what? A reminder. Every time we see it, a reminder. Every single snowflake is unique. And, and God's sovereignty is in complete control of everything. And, and yet, I'm afraid at times that we we lose that. We lose that reminder, that image. We kind of get lulled into complacency as season turns into season. We blame it on, we've heard this past week a lot, tryptophan, right? You've heard that term before? Uh, tryptophan is a, I want to get this right, it's an essential amino acid that acts as a building block in our protein biosynthesis. It functions as a biochemical precursor for the following compounds, serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter, and melatonin, which is a neurohormone, and niacin. And you say, what are you doing? What are you talking about? I read actually some, believe it or not, over our break. Now, you've heard of this word before, this idea of tryptophan. It's this, it's this uh, amino acid that they believe is produced in Turkey, that when you eat a large amount of turkey and stuffing, that all of a sudden you get really tired. And you kind of like rub your belly and fall asleep watching football. What I realized and what I learned is that we blame a lot of things on this drug that kind of makes us tired and we just kind of slumber. There's actually more tryptophan that's produced in, in eggs and cheese than there is turkey. And so what's interesting in the fact is that there's a lot of things in life that as we have these amazing details of God's sovereignty all around us, we miss it. We, we kind of slumber our way through life. And so that's why I think it's so fitting, it's so appropriate. I love the fact that we are drawing this book study in Galatians kind of to a close. We've just celebrated Thanksgiving. We're in the midst of the holiday season. We have our eyes set now on Christmas. And then the end of the year, there's all of these events And I think it's perfectly appropriate to stay intensely and keenly alert and aware and awake. And I want you to envision your life as as being on a road. And just as we come to the end of this year, in in the next couple weeks, tomorrow's December, I want you to think of your life as, as a road and it comes to a complete stop and it doesn't continue on any further. You've got to go one way or the other. Realize that our lives are like that on a continual basis. Where we have been traveling down a road of life and you are forced, you cannot sit still any longer. That clock doesn't stop. You've got to go one way or the other. There's, there's no middle ground here. You've got to move what? Either towards obedience to God's word or what? Disobedience. It's one or the other. As we travel down life, we come to, in a sense, an abrupt halt at the end of this year and we've got to continue on you're either going to go what towards holiness or towards unholiness towards righteousness or what towards unrighteousness the reason being is that eventually we're going to stop coming to the end of new years 
And you're going to actually be at the end of your life. And guess what? It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be one direction or the other. Reality sets in here. We have to live our life in light of that. It's going to be what? It's going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. It's going to be what? Enter into this kingdom with me or depart because I never knew you. Imagine those words. Imagine those words spoken after you have been sitting in church or you've been raised in Sunday school or you've been taught what is right. That's why this is so important. As we draw this book study to a close, we've got to see it as a moment of decision-making. That's what hangs in the balance. Now, it's been a, a little while for me, and so this review is as much for me as it is for you, but we've kind of been talking about what this whole study in the book of Galatians. Jesus Christ has redeemed us or rescued us from the curse of the law. We live our lives as followers of Him. There's evidence of following Him. They're referred to as fruits of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. They're all produced. Look at other indicators that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, that we have a desire to bear one another's burdens. We can kind of take chapter 6 and summarize it in one word, others. Others. So we live life with an acute awareness of other people. One of the ways, what? We reach down and we... We, we restore someone who has been caught in sin. That's how we're supposed to do it, with firmness but yet with gentleness. We don't condemn their sin, but we don't condone it either. We love them, we pray for them, we speak truth into their lives. But as Pastor Nick reminded us, what we don't have to look at ourselves as being any better because we're not. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're to what? To bear our own burden. And yet we saw last week, as Aaron reminded us, that God has blessed us with amazing resources. Yes, so the preaching of God's Word can, can be present, but also so that those can be provided for both locally and globally for the extending of the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Let me report on that, that this church takes amazing care of me and my family so I can give full attention to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And I am so grateful for that. We move on to this next to last preaching portion. We'll conclude it actually next week of the entire book of Galatians. And we will learn that without a doubt, the emphasis of this entire epistle is summarized in these couple verses. And everything is focused on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul does this in an interesting or a very unique way. His conclusions are usually very similar. And this conclusion is somewhat atypical to Paul's style. There's no greetings or salutations. There's no people that are named. There's no prayer requests. There's not a, a normal doxology. Instead, what he does is he stresses one major idea, one major point. I love the way Scott McKnight in his NIV application commentary writes this about the conclusion of Galatians. The conclusion, Galatians 6, brings everything to a head. What confronts us here is Paul's adamant opposition to the Judaizers. He is set against any presentation of the gospel that does not let surrender to Christ and life in the Spirit have their full sway. And so we approach this text with this mindset. The gospel 
has got to remain in the forefront. Paul has been addressing these churches throughout the region of Galatia. And he does this not only with practical content on how to live, but in this particular text, he does it with personal intent. Content is always important. In this particular setting, in this case, intent, his intention for for writing, is equally important. The what is as vital, as important as the why. Galatians chapter 6. Here's our text. Pick it up with me in verse 11, and we'll read down through verse 15. Excuse me. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Pay attention to verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Biblical scholars, intellectuals, Theologians have long debated and will continue to debate the reason behind Paul's personal writing here in unusually large, big, bold, clear letters. Some argue that it was because he actually was struggling with poor eyesight at this particular time in his life. So that's why he he wrote unusually large. Others claim that it was because he wanted to intentionally bring emphasis to the subject. Regardless, we never really will understand which way until we get to heaven. I believe it was probably both reasons. I think he probably was struggling with eyesight issues or his vision, and he also wanted to emphasize a very, very important part. And so this is what he does. Literally, he does this. Paul was writing normally with an amanuensis, a man who was, who was transcribing what he was dictating. And so what Paul does here is he kind of turns the last page. He actually takes the, it's not a big pen, okay? It's probably a stylus or some quill. They're etching oftentimes into skins, sometimes even dotting it with ink, almost tattooing the paper, the parchment or, or the skins. Paul takes this stylus, takes a big breath, and he writes his own words here in his own handwriting. Very large. I believe the the boldness of his calligraphy matched the conviction of his own heart. He is being authentic. We know this is his own hand, and he's also being authoritative. Does this happen another time? Remember your history books? Remember remember American history, uh, chapter 27, July the 4th, 1776, and, and there was the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And according to tradition, we don't know this for certain, but one guy 
He was the president of the Provincial Congress of Massachusetts. His name was John Hancock. And they claim what? He signed his name first, and he wrote it unusually large. If you see copies of the Declaration of Independence, there's all the scribbling of the signatures, and there's one that you can read very clear. Can I have your John Hancock, okay? Somebody at the bank asks you for that when they ask for your signature. He is saying, "What? let King George know, let everyone know, I am not afraid to take a stand for the freedom that we are pursuing. This is the idea right here. It's basically what Paul does. Paul says, I want you to hear this. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to mistake this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own Hand. Clarity is an absolute must. Now, the entire message of the book of Galatians is summarized and emphasized right here in these last couple of verses. He has been writing this entire book speaking about what? The dangers of legalism and to look out for the danger and the apostasy of legalists. He describes them as individuals in verse 12 as he addresses what? Those people who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Do do you know what it means to be someone who desires to make a good showing in the flesh? Do, Do you understand what that means in everyday language? This is a person Paul is speaking about who's more concerned about looking the part or looking good, as opposed to actually being good. This is a person who wants to impress other people by having everything in order on the outside, but what they're missing the entire message of God's grace on the inside. These are people, you know what, I'm, I'm reminded of being away and, 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 and just watching different people. I have seen more people over the last couple weeks take selfies, okay, than I've ever seen in my entire life. That's like the serious in thing to do. I'm not, I'm not saying if you ever take a selfie, you're going directly to hell. I'm not saying that. I'd like to say that, but I can't. It's kind of what people are doing. They're creating this life. Look at me on the cruise ship. Look at me with this plate of food in front of me. Look at me at this beach. Look at me with this famous person. Do you realize that Christians, in a sense, are doing exactly the same thing? Look at me attending church. Here I am with all my brothers and sisters. Smile. Look at me on the mission trip as I'm helping this little child right here. Look at me as I'm putting money into the offering plate, faithfully sacrificing. Look at me. I'm doing all the right things. That's what Paul's talking about by those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. You understand it? Are are the letters large enough for you to understand? Paul is speaking about what? He's speaking about people who are insincere. Paul is speaking to people who are artificial, who are two-faced. Paul is speaking to people who are disingenuous. And I believe the reason that he is speaking so loud, so loud, so clear, so big, and so bold is because he is emphasizing the intent alongside of the content 
And Paul despises this so much. You know why he despises it? Because he's speaking from first-hand knowledge. He was one of them. That's why he hates this subject. That's why he is so adamant. He despises people who are counterfeits and who are fakes. And he knows that the church is spread throughout the region of Galatia. And he knows what? That the Holy Spirit would speak to churches in America today. That they are overflowing with people who say one thing in front of others and they're living a completely different way. He knows what? That fake people are inundating both the pew and sadly the pulpit as well. And that's why he is so clear with this subject. People, we have got to examine as we seek, what, to fulfill the vision as God has given to us in this community, we have got to live differently than the rest of the world. We must live differently. Everyone desires to wear the right clothes and to look pretty and to say the right words and to make a good showing of the flesh. But people, we cannot have, we cannot have fathers who are calling their own children to holiness and righteousness and they're not pursuing holiness and righteousness in their own personal walk with the Lord. We cannot have mothers who desire what? Children to be obedient and follow the ways of the Lord when they're being manipulative. We cannot have parents who pretend any longer We cannot have leaders who are disingenuous, who lie. We have to pray the prayer. I I read this this past week, Joseph Bailey. Oh, he speaks with such candidness and such honesty. He calls it a psalm of single-mindedness. And I quote, a prayer. Lord of reality, make me real. Not plastic, not synthetic, not pretend, phony. Not an actor playing out his part, a hypocrite. I don't want to keep a prayer list, but to pray. I don't want to agonize to find your will, but to obey what I already know is your will. I don't want to argue the theories of inspiration, but submit to your word. I don't want to explain the difference between eros and philos and agape, but to love. I don't want to sing as if I mean it. I want to mean it. I don't want to tell it like it is, but to be it like you want it. I don't want to think another needs me, but that I need you. Or else I'm not complete. I don't want to tell others how to do it but to do it. I don't want to have to always be right, but to admit it when I'm wrong. I don't want to be insensitive, but to hurt where people, where other people hurt, nor to say, I know how you feel, but to say that God knows. And I'll try. If you'll be patient with me, and meanwhile, I will be quiet. I don't want to scorn the cliches of others, but to mean everything I say, including this. Amen to that. Amen to that prayer. And may that be our prayer as we advance for the cause of the gospel in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. The Apostle Paul right here makes every effort, uses every bit of his own energy 
to make sure that everyone is aware what a true, a sincere, and authentic Christian looks like who is concerned about pleasing God more than he is about pleasing man. He does this two ways. The first one we can be reminded of this morning is what? We are not or we do not ever under any circumstance boast in your flesh. Point number one, we have got to remember that. There is nothing that you have here that you are to shout and to try to show others about how spiritual, how righteous, or how holy you are. The context of Galatians is written as an affront to those people who feel that they had to teach what? Strict obedience and adherence to Old Testament law. Even to the point it says in verse 12, what? Forcing you to be circumcised. In verse 13 it says that they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Think of circumcision as that which represents obedience to the entire law. If you're going to do that, you're going to do everything else. But they're more concerned about the fact that what? You adhere to what the rules and regulations of the past are now required for your salvation? No. What is, what is Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13? The entire theme of this book. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has plucked you out from what? Strict obedience to holy living and a desire to follow because of your love for the Lord and what He has done for you. Christ has redeemed us, rescued us from the curse of the law. And so this term boast or to, to, to glory in the flesh means to brag. To brag to others that you have been obedient. Has that ever happened? Has that, has that ever, that, that idea even crossed your mind? You're actually somehow trying to communicate clearly to someone else that you have chosen the right way or the right path. Has that ever happened? You ever been guilty even slightly of trying to make yourself a little bit more righteous than the person next to you? Ever try in a sense to maximize someone else's faults so that you look a little bit more shiny? I, I remember dearly a pastor friend who called me up and he was very perplexed. He had the daunting task that all of us have been called to at one point or another of confronting a uh, member in his church, confronting a brother in the Lord who has been ensnared and caught in a life of sin. And this pastor called for his own accountability. He had taken a period of time, he had prayed about it, and he had followed every piece of biblical instruction. After much prayer, literally taking times of fasting with great effort, he went to this man in sincerity, he went in humility to talk with him. He did everything right according to what it says in Scripture. The response from the man who was approached, the man who was ensnared in sin, the response to his own pastor... The pastor had done all that he can to do this with great care. The man's response was this, How dare you? Who do you think you are? You, as a pastor of all people, you're the one that's attacking me. You're the one that's criticizing me. You're the one that's judging me. The man went on to to defend his own spiritual walk. How many times he's reading the Bible every single day. He commented on his church attendance, commented on how much money he's giving to the Lord, 
comment on all the things that you have to do in order to be a good Christian. At the same time, he attacks not only the pastor, he attacks the elders, he attacks other people within the church that they don't care about him. And what happens in that situation is that we try what to make ourselves look better. And we end up boasting in our flesh so much so that you can't even see, you can't even see your own sin. That's the tragedy of what happens. This type of thinking reveals the presence of pride in someone's life and inevitably it causes division, it causes contention within the body, it causes competition, and the work that needs to be done is thwarted because sin exists in the camp. Be assured whenever you see yourself before a holy God, whenever you get a glimpse of yourself between before our righteous Redeemer, you realize you have nothing, you have nothing to boast in. Number one, do not boast in your flesh. But number two, in closing, finally, do boast in your Savior, Jesus Christ. God has hardwired us in such a way that we love to tell others about the good things that are happening in our lives. Paul understood this. He says, but far be it from me to boast. Uh, New King James says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God knew we are wired in such a way that if there's something good that happens, we've got to let other people know about it. Paul says, you want to boast? I'll give you something to boast in. It's not what you want. How natural is it for us? I remember calling a neighbor. You wouldn't happen to have an extra copy of the newspaper laying around, would you? Yeah, we only had one delivered to our home. My daughter scored three goals yesterday and made it to the paper. We want to pass it on to Grandma and Grandpa, Grammy and Papa. Could, could you hold on to that? What, what is that? I remember a time that our son was pitching. And literally, I thought this was the coolest thing in the entire world. The umpire calls timeout and says, could, could I please have the parents of that kid pitching out here? I'd like to speak with them. And so I walked out there. I'm like, yeah, that's me. He said, I want to see this kid's birth certificate because he shouldn't be throwing this hard at this young. And I thought that is just the coolest thing in the entire world. So the umpire says, yeah, he's just going to kill somebody. That's the problem. And I remember calling people. There's something in us. He says, let me tell you about my daughter's report card. Let me tell you that my son just got accepted to graduate school. Let me tell you about the scholarship I just received. There's something in us. Paul knows this. Paul of all people would know. Paul of all people would know. If there is actually something to boast or brag in, boy, it would be him, wouldn't it? What does what is, what is his resume look like? He is a purebred, a pedigree of Judaism. He's a gifted student of the law and of the languages. Paul is a man with faithful, impeccable Christian service, a missionary who leads people to Christ, who plants churches, who mentored men, who wrote letters. Paul would have something to boast in, correct? 
Paul was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was in prison, and yet for some reason he says, I have nothing, I have nothing to add. Not in and of myself. But there is something I do want to brag about, and today I stand before you with the authority of God's word and say, you know what, you can brag all you want about this subject. You can what? You can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. People say, wait a minute, but why the cross? What is this? It's some study. It's interesting to note that a cross is referred to as an object of, of, of disdain. A cross is never to be celebrated. A cross is never to be boasted in. It's comprised of two large pieces of wood that was used in the ancient world as a form of punishment, as a form of execution. A gentleman by the name of, of Dr. Donald Green is a New Testament professor at the Master Seminary. He did extensive research on crucifixion. I won't bore you with it, but you need to hear this. Referred to as the folly of the cross. And he talks about the fact that the Roman Empire's policies on crucifixion conditioned Roman citizens to view crucified men with universal contempt. Why would you boast in that? Green continues on. He said the crucified were either rebellious slaves, they were the lowest of criminals, or defeated and humiliated foes of the empire. Listen to this. The Romans crucified their victims publicly to deter crime and help maintain public order. Further, they had rather systemized crucifixion so that it thoroughly tortured and demeaned the crucified. First, the victim was flogged with a leather whip, studded with bone or metal. This flogging reduced the back and shoulders to throbbing ribbons of bleeding flesh. The condemned then shouldered the crossbar upon which he was to be hung and carried it himself to the place of crucifixion. What, why, why would we brag about that? Why would we boast about that? Why? Because specifically it's not just any cross. It's the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God himself, God incarnate, came to earth as a baby we'll celebrate, born in a manger, lived and ministered, walked for 33 years on the face of this very earth, absolutely perfect and sinless. He was betrayed and lied to. He was humiliated and he suffered. And he was nailed, literally, physically, Iron stakes, nails, pierced his flesh. He suffered, he bled, and he died on that cross for you and for me. We rejoice that he did not stay dead, but the completed work of the gospel is what the fact that he rose again three days later. And by us putting our life completely into his hand to rescue us from our own sinfulness, we too can live a new life as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you see how Christ 
redeemed us and rescued us. Paul actually declares it like this, that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's no need for a selfie in Paul's life. Why? Because the world is nothing to me. So there's this condition that takes place. How are we to boast in the cross by realizing what? There is nothing to boast in, in this world. And until we lose this, this desire to be coddled and comforted in this world, I don't think we'll ever fully understand what it means to follow and boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So may we allow this reminder to be given. So that you this morning ask yourself, what is it that you brag in? What is it that you throw your shoulders back and your head up about? Not what you've done, but what Christ has done. It, it, it's, it's a simple what? It's a road, and it, it comes to a complete dead end. And you've got to go. You've got to go one way or the other. This morning, you must move to a place of obedience if you're ever to enjoy the glory of heaven. You must move to a place of righteousness, a place of holiness through Christ and His redeeming work. So may we see this as a tremendous reminder, a truth for every single one of us very carefully to see how important, how big is the world to us. Or can we truthfully and honestly say that the world is dead to me? I'm crucified to this world. And I am grateful for what Jesus Christ has done, rescuing me and redeeming me from my sin. May we get a glimpse and may we be bold to brag about what Jesus Christ has done. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you've given to us this message. I thank you, Lord, that you've given to us the ministry of Jesus Christ who bore the weight of rebellion and sin of the entire world upon his shoulders. And we, Lord, thank you for that. God, help us to very carefully, carefully examine our own life and see what is it that we're bragging in. And Lord, may we confess that and throw that before your feet and desire to follow you and please you. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.